Hi, I'm Charles Galda. Welcome to the Church in Action podcast. Uh, we know that when the people of God do the work of God, loving our neighbors, living in unity, then people want to know Jesus Christ. And that's what transforms lives, New England, and the world. So on our podcast, we talk about the ingredients that make that happen, making disciples who do justice and share Jesus to accelerate evangelism. Today, we plan something a bit different, which is good, since if you're watching us on video, you may recognize this does not look like my normal office. I'm getting better, but I'm still in quarantine uh, for COVID. Uh, and so uh, we plan something different, and that makes my life a little bit easier because I've not been feeling great lately. Uh, today's podcast was actually recorded for Walnut Hill Community Church in Connecticut. Uh, it's an interview between Pastor Victoria Kavarwick, a pastor there at Walnut Hill, uh, who's also a friend of mine, uh, a Vision New England board member, and the vice moderator of Vision New England. She's interviewing Gavin Calver, another good friend, who leads the Evangelical Alliance in the UK, uh, along with his wife, Anne, who's also at ministry in the UK. I thought it was important to hear from them, uh, because as a good friend reminds me, New England sometimes has a lot more in common with Old England than with the rest of the U.S., and that's especially true when it comes to the growing secularization of culture that we've experienced. The UK is 20 years ahead of us on that curve, and we're 20 years ahead of the rest of the US on that curve, although maybe it's accelerating. In any event, there's plenty to learn from them. So please enjoy uh, hearing from three very unique, uh, gifted Christian leaders whose God has put in really key roles. Uh, and I think there'll be stuff that we can learn from them. Uh, and share with others. God bless you. Thanks. So it's great. And Gavin, the world sort of changed about a year ago for you. You, you were working at the Evangelical Alliance, and then you stepped in as CEO. Now, for lots of people over here, the Evangelical Alliance doesn't necessarily translate. Can you give us an idea of a snapshot of what you do and what is exciting you at the moment? Yeah, I mean... In the UK, that word evangelical basically means four things. It means that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. So stop changing the Bible to fit your culture and start changing your culture with the truth in the word of God. We believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important thing in human history. We believe in the need for conversion. Some of my friends seem to think you come to faith by osmosis. You don't, you get on your knees and you meet your saviour. And we believe in being active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why it's the evangelicals in the UK who led the abolition of the slave trade provided education for anyone else, in recent years have done street passes and food banks and other stuff to try and change the, the nation. Now, the Evangelical Alliance is the oldest and largest unity organisation seeking to represent the two million evangelicals in the UK. So um, the EA was started in 1846. It's got two aims. United Church and Mission, give the church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society. So it, it's a member thing, right? So if Walnut Hill was in the UK, you'd sign up to the EA. That would mean you'd agree with our statement of faith. You'd uh, want to be joined with other people. You'd give your membership fee depends on the size of the church. So a church like yours is about a pound a head, if you like. And so, so we've like got dollar fifty. Yeah, dollar fifty a head. So we've got three and a half thousand church members. We've got five hundred organisational members. Things like Youth for Christ, YWAM, those kind of things. And we've got over 18,000 individual members who stand together and say, together we're going to make Jesus known. And we unite in mission, and then we speak to the government directly and various other people to say, hang on, we're Christians, we're here to help, let's crack on together. So it's quite a public role, it's quite an exciting role, it's a little bit more political than I might like, but it's fundamentally all about sharing the gospel and changing the United Kingdom so that the United Kingdom would know Jesus. And that's what I'd give my life for. So I got to take over last October, worst time ever to take over, 
Why didn't the previous boss leave a year early or a year later? But you can't argue with what you're given. You just have to crack on. No, you can't argue with what you're given. And, and we have to believe, like Esther, that it is for such a time as this that God has put you in that role and in that place. I know that you've had to step into doing a number of things um, as first, and you've also produced a book in the middle of all of this mm-hmm. craziness, which is the book Unleashed that I showed earlier. Now, I know that this has been a very significant book in your life. What was the heartbeat of what God taught you as you wrote this book? Do you want to go first? Uh, yes? Well, I could do. I mean, yeah. I'm being honest now, I'll only speak for my understanding of church, but as you go back, because the subline is the Acts Church today. So what does it mean to be the Acts Church today? What have we lost? What's changed? What's happened? And, and I think for me, the thing that most struck me was, was how impoverished our understanding of church is sometimes. How we have programmed something that was supposed to be your life. How we think here, you know, take youth ministry, which is my expertise for the EA. Parents expect a youth worker to do one hour a week what they haven't done in 15 years. When actually what you should be doing with your young people should be in the home. What about sharing of possessions? What about sharing of, of opportunity? What what's happened to words, works and wonders? You know, we argue about what's more important, words and works. But what about the wonders of the early church? But also, and one thing that lockdown has done is it's made every home, every street, every garden. That's become your parish. And so we've become scattered. And so writing it, it it's, it's just about the most prophetic book we've ever written. <laughs> yeah. And yet we didn't mean it to be prophetic because <laughs> it came out at the start of lockdown. And it speaks so much into that context of a scattered church. And so I think it's challenged me as to where have we missed out on stuff and coming out of COVID and going forwards, where do things need to be different? Because the bride of Christ is something we celebrate and something we're part of. But I think sometimes, certainly in the UK, we've just lost the plot a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, we we went on a journey with this book. I would say this journey has been about three or four years. Um, For me personally, I feel like it's it's a life call. I think probably it's the same for both of us, but works out differently that our our call is to the church and our call is to the lost. And and that we're just really, I think, longing to just see the Lord move in power um, in the UK primarily, but but across the world, we just want to see a major move of God. And so I think we were we were st- saying to ourselves, writing it, how do we get ready um, for what God wants to do by His Spirit, and and what does it look like to get ready for for a move of God? So how do we be vessel ready, revival ready, if you like? And I think that that the sense was, you know, what actually we're going to find a lot of answers in Acts, and and if we that the some of the wording, you know, around what does the wineskin look like? That the new wineskin actually is the ancient path. It's, it's the, the way that it used to be um, that we're going to find a lot of answers. And that is, you know, the early church were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've been going, we need to be really filled with, with the fire of God again. We need to be really empowered with the Holy Spirit again so that we can be fully released into the mission that God has for us. And actually that that maybe looks different to what we've been doing so far. Uh, or maybe it's right now that God's changing that. And I think the right now of it and the suddenly of it is just it's been quite shocking. Uh, we never expected to be literally unleashed out of the building. <laughs> So that's the heartbeat is is not to stay within our church buildings, but get out there, be the church 
where God has called us. Is that is that the heartbeat of what the Lord is really stirring in you? Yeah, it's part of it. I think for a lot of people, their Christianity is their latest hobby. So you play golf on a Tuesday, you go to church on a Sunday, and on a Thursday, I don't know, you play cards with your friends, whatever it might be. And, and the message behind this is, no, 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 no. It's all or nothing. I, I, I've never really understood this half-hearted Christianity nonsense. It makes no sense because you miss out on so much and you don't gain a lot. You're either in or you're out. And I think the message behind the church is it's got to be all in. It's got to be all in. And this isn't just an option or a lifestyle choice or something you're doing at one point. It's, it's everything. And so I think it's a returning to that. You look at the early church. They were risking their lives preaching the gospel. But then what happens is an angel in Acts 5, an angel comes and lets them out of prison during the night and says to them, all right, fellas, good news, you're getting your freedom. Bad news, go do what you got banged up for doing, do it again. And, you know, there was this urgency, there was this desperation. Whereas I think for some of us, and forgive the terminology used here, but some of us effectively even need to come out as Christians to some of the people that don't know us um, as Christians. You know, on a Sunday, we've got our arms in the air, and on a Tuesday, no one at work knows that we love Jesus. We need to get back to the reality that Christianity is not an addendum to your life. It's all in. You can only live when you know the author of life. And we want to see people re-engage to raise their passion, raise their understanding and stop limiting. Stop saying, Lord, you are small enough, tame enough and cozy enough in this box over here that you will not disturb my normal. That's got to go. Let let him out. Let him crack on in every part of your life. And let's see where that leads us. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's been a, a real sense um, here of, of a real waking up, a real wake up, a real shake up um, going on um, amongst the church. And I think, you know, some people would say, oh, it was an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, we'd go along and, and that was that was church and now it's gone or well, at least it's online. So what's church then? And, and how important is God to me? Like how important is my relationship with Jesus? And I think that's the most important thing. It's actually... Is Jesus the most important thing in my life? Am I wanting to be a disciple of Jesus? Do I want to follow him with everything that I've got? Because actually this is a moment, if we're, if we're not that bothered, see you later. You know, so you're either in fully or you're not. And, and I think, yeah, that's yeah, where we... I was so challenged. We've been challenged by so, so many voices, so many different spaces, from the UK and the US. But one voice, and other places, other yeah, nations yeah. are available. Um, one, uh, an Australian called John Tyson, who runs a church in New York, is a great guy, really inspiring. But I remember listening to him recently He's saying, do not just surround yourself with those you agree with, but with those who are hungry for what you're hungry for. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges to the church is, what are you hungry for? What do you really want to see happen? So I want to see the United Kingdom totally transformed for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want to see our parliaments and everything else turned around to live in a kingdom way. I want to see every person on the streets coming to know Jesus. I want to see this little island that I live on utterly transformed for Jesus. If anyone wants some of that, let's join in. Let's mm-hmm. go together. Let's be hungry for that. But I think some people, um, some people have either been satisfied with very little yeah. or have forgotten to be hungry. Mm-hmm. Christians should be movers, not settlers. We always settle. We settle and then we build a little temple and make it all work. Everything, else. everything should be in pencil. You should be able to, I was going to say rub it out, it doesn't work. You should be able to erase, erase it. it out and remove the pencil at any point. You, you know, we are movers, not settlers. And I think the early church were movers, but the church of today are settlers. It's so interesting what you're saying, because we're seeing similar things here, that this is a moment where, do I believe it or do I not believe it? And if I believe it, what does that mean? I, I think that the quietness in some senses of the season 
that we all find ourselves in throughout the world is forcing us to ask questions. So when it comes down to reality, I hear the passion. I love the passion. Uh, you're my brother, Gavin, so I'm, I'm used to the passion as well. But <laughs> when, we, uh, when the rubber hits the road, when we look at the reality, what are you seeing coming out of COVID-19 or in the midst of this moment what are you seeing? What are the stories of what God is doing in the church in the UK where they are getting out and they are doing something and, and, and they're not stuck in the box? Because we want to be inspired and encouraged by the church over there as well. Yeah. Well, we live, Anne and I, in macro and micro worlds at times. Yeah. So Anne helps yeah. lead a local church. I help lead the Evangelical Church's unity organisation that speaks to the government. You know, so we've got the macro and the micro together. So if I go macro, maybe Anne goes micro. So, so we have seen three big changes during COVID in the nation. We've seen a change of spiritual temperature. Mm-hmm. So the, the desire to find something of Jesus is far higher than it's been in my lifetime. It's the greatest evangelistic moment of my lifetime. It's bittersweet. It's terrible what's happened to people, but the opportunities for the gospel are unprecedented. One in four people in the UK have access to church service online. Normally, 5% of the population go to church. So you've got that massive growth. Ironically, half of regular church attendees aren't going to church. So of the 5%, only 2.5% are going to church. But of the 100%, fascinating. 25% are going. So it's fascinating. Wow. But there's been this thing in the UK which we're calling mortality salience. Mortality salience is an awareness of your own fragility as a human being. It's normally reserved for places like war zones where you would think I might die. We don't live in the shadow of death normally, but mortality salience has meant that people are asking, will I live? Will I die? What does life mean? The appetite, the spiritual temperatures changed. So we in the UK mustn't live on yesterday's spiritual temperature. We must live on today's because the openness over garden fences, other places, higher than it's been. Wow. Secondly, it's been a change in style. Hmm. Six months ago, we wouldn't have believed we could do online church in the UK. Within six weeks of the start of lockdown, the UK church broke Zoom in the UK. Didn't work for the whole of a Sunday morning because too many people tried to do it at the same time. And that was the church because it was half 10 till 12 on a Sunday morning. No one else uses it. So there's been a complete change in style. Alpha, which I don't know if you guys do Alpha. We did Alpha online. There you go. Speaking to to my friend, Nicky Gumbel, who's the pioneer of the Alpha course. He said before lockdown, he didn't believe it would work online. There were none. There's now 1,800 Alpha courses online. That's amazing. So changing t- temperature, changing style, third change, changing cultural narrative. So on October the 1st, I took over leading the Evangelical Alliance. Every day till lockdown, I was asked for my view on transgenderism, um, on same-sex marriage, on abortion, on anything that they felt they could pigeonhole me as hateful and against society on. I was asked every day. When lockdown started, wasn't asked once. For three what and a half months, I wasn't asked once any of that for three and a half months we were asked how does the church help rebuild society what does the church offer into this space we were on zoom to government ministers and they're saying how do you help us rebuild the narrative change now last couple of weeks a few things have come up here and there but being realistic the narrative's changed because people know they need the church to help them change things going forwards it's so important And we as the church mustn't allow the walls to be built again. They're down. The narrative has changed. I was even on to a member of the cabinet. Does that translate, cabinet? Senate, maybe. Okay, one of the top six political figures in the UK 
on, on, on to one of them and we're chatting and I said, but the thing is you're asking us to help rebuild society, but what about the fact we want to preach the gospel and see people come to Jesus? And they said, well, we've dropped that proselytizing thing because it's not fair. We can't say to you not to proselytize if you're paying the bill. Oh. I said, also, you can't tell us not to proselytize when you let the secular humanists proselytize. Everyone's proselytizing apart from Christians, so let us do it too. So there's a change in temperature. I don't need to finish, I'm sorry. Change in temperature, change in style, change in cultural narrative. And finally, there's been an extension of the prophetic imagination of the church. Mm. So Walter Brueggemann writes a lot about <laughs> prophetic imagination. But what more can happen? And into this, how do we imagine what God can do? I won't tell any stories of local church because I'll do that, but I've preached over a hundred times into my iPhone. And the first into time I your did, iPhone. Yeah, to be sent out. Yep. One Sunday I was at seven churches at once. It's all a bit weird. But one Sunday, um, so the first time I preached was Spring Harvest, which is an Easter festival. And I'm like, I did a gospel appeal into, this th- into a phone thinking, is this ever going to work? Yet then there was a, a wife watching it on the sofa with her husband. Her husband's only sat on the sofa because the wife wants it on the telly. He's reading his paper or whatever. He's been against her faith for years. And I do a prayer of commitment at the end of my talk. He starts praying a prayer of commitment. She starts weeping. She's like, I didn't think you were listening. How's this working? God can use our small in all kinds of ways. So it's those three changes around temperature, style and narrative. But then it's up to us to say, okay, I'm not going to live on yesterday's news. I'm going to extend my prophetic imagination, step into this place and be different. Mm. Wow. All right, guys. Wow. That was exciting, Gavin. Quite exciting, yeah. Yeah, over to you, Anne. Um, yeah, I, well, what to add? I think um, that we realised really, really quickly that we were walking a bittersweet narrative and that as well as having hideous brokenness, sadness, grief going on in the nation, it's been coupled with this real excitement and sense of God speaking and moving in a way that we've really never known in our lifetime um, before. And just an increase of the prophetic um, nationally, definitely nationally. um, And just this realization that the, the prophetic and the pragmatic have suddenly like joined hand in hand. So where before we might have heard the laws say something you know a few years ago and we're still waiting for it to come to pass it's been oh it's now we're hearing Mm. it and we've got to step into it now um and so that's been quite exciting because it's been a more uniting i think of gifts um than there has been before and i think with the removal of the platform something amazing has happened because we've been in our houses um talking and preaching into our phones we've done away with hierarchy or a sense of the being hierarchy um, within the church it's not that we don't need leaders we 100% need leaders but it's allowed people to discover what God's asking of them and to rise up themselves and to think what do I bring what's my voice rather than just sitting in a pew listening to other people deliver on a Sunday morning. I think there's been a growing sense of, of the fivefold gifts, not just the pastors and teachers, but the apostles, the prophets and the evangelists rising. And I think there's a lot more of that to come, but it's actually, oh, how do we see those work together better? Um, just alongside that, a very quick realisation of the importance of relationship. You know, I think, I don't know what it's like around you, Vixie, but around here, like people run at 100 miles an hour in London and with us all, none of us could be in our workplaces. We've had more time and I think we've realised that each other is more important and God and each other. And that's the greatest commandment. I don't know where we, why, how we lost that somehow. 
but relationship is the key and community and a sense of belonging is the most important thing and how we release one another in our gifts in those spaces so yeah i think that's and it's people have people have taken ownership for their streets a bit mm. you know mm. um, in london no one knows their neighbors yeah. but suddenly you're spending a lot of time we've had a heat wave as well going on and on for months it's been <laughs> hot and i've ever remembered it hence i'm looking so red but you know you bump into your neighbours over the garden fence. There was one story of a friend who put 25 Bibles on their drive. Um, and inside each Bible, there was a note saying, only take one if you'll read it. Inside the Bible was a phone number for a WhatsApp group. And they've had over 20 people every week at their online Bible group. And it's all their neighbours doing the Bible together. It's just saying, like, how, how are we going to start stepping in, making a difference? So also in the UK, the church is an emergency service. It's probably, I don't know if it's the same with you, but we're an emergency service. So mm-hmm. food banks for the neediest yeah. are all run by churches. Um, street pastors to make sure people get home safe. The, we, we, are, we, we believe in this nation. We provide an awful lot of social benefit. We do it with the gospel, but we do loads. So even in the height of lockdown, the only thing open, other than the literal shop you had to have, was the church, which had a food bank. Because yeah. the church doesn't close. And it's, been, it's completely different in this space because our churches are often built into streets. They're not on industrial parks. So, I mean, I love Warner Hills building, but that wouldn't exist where we live. Not enough land. And so you've got, it's a different world. You're kind of all pushed in together. So communities become king. Yeah. No, it's interesting because uh, we've been doing a food bank here um, and getting about 500 people. We've been doing them weekly and then every two weeks um, throughout the whole season. But it developed of something we'd been doing for years before with the Connecticut Food Bank. We've been doing once a month for them for years. And it's been beautiful to see how some that sort of regular relational activity then in the middle of a crisis can become something really significant for that moment for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, as a church, as you know, um, we want to be a church in action. We are committed to standing with the church around the world. It's been wonderful to hear uh, what God is doing in the UK. For those of us like me who are British, it's really exciting to hear uh-huh. that God is on the move. But I think for us here in the states to see what god is doing in other places to inspire and challenge us for how we are here and where might we need to be creative and what might the lord be saying to us and i hate to put you on the spot but i'm hoping that familial license will allow me to if there was one thing that you could say to the people of one at hell in this season what might that be I told you I'd put you on the spot. (laughs) Okay, I think this is the same thing I would say to any Western Christians at this point. Don't settle back into comfort. You can't go back to normal. Normal doesn't exist anymore. So we reimagine a new future. And I'm sure it's not that different in the US. In the UK, we are facing an economic ice age. It is going to get so much worse before it gets better. The problem is not the virus. The problem is what comes off the back of the virus. The problem is that the least in our society become even more on the margins. The problem is that if you went into this in bad shape financially or in health or anything else, you come out of it worse. The church is being given an open goal of an opportunity to rebuild our communities. And we have a choice. Do we go for the safety of our own structures 
our own health and well-being and hide away in a lovely little cathedral whilst the world around us falls apart? Or do we say we'll be part of rebuilding this? Now, in your own context, you'll have your own ways. I've mentioned before about government and stuff. We've never had access to the UK government like right now because they are desperate. And we as the church in this country are saying, in the macro, we will commit to the rebuilding and reimagining of the UK and we will do it with the gospel. But in the local, every church is as important to its community going forward as every hospital, every school, everything else. You have the opportunity right now to stand up, speak up, act up, share Jesus with your hands, your hearts, your mouths and everything else, mm-hmm. or desperately search for the safety. Personally, I'd rather join Jesus in the dangerous water than stay safe without him in the boat. And I think that's the choice the church has. Do you stay in the boat that you're familiar with, where you feel safe? Or do you make this opportunity now the moment to join Jesus on the water? And if you're saying, yeah, but how do I start? Here's how you start. Do what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. I, I would say, um, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid would be my my biggest thing. And that's, that isn't do not be wise because we need wisdom. We've got, we need to be wise. But do not be afraid we've known fear just like a blanket over the nation and i just i actually feel like this is a really exciting moment i've just been preaching a little bit this summer on this the narrative of joshua chapter one and just this realization you know that moses is dead and it's time for joshua that that we are in a major transition point in history and that this is a not, it's not what it was before. We mustn't go back to Egypt. This is a moment for Canaan. And it's a moment to gather our supplies, gather what we have and head into a new space. And, and it's about following the presence of God and knowing where the spirit of God is leading, which I really believe if we're, if we're on our knees asking him, he wants to shine a light on the way, but it will not look like what it looked like before. He's exchanging the old for the new and the new is it's scary. It does feel scary. Otherwise, why does he say to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous? You know, there's something pretty full on ahead and we're not at the end of that. You know, we, actually, it's going to be more to come. But it's, I think, God's saying, I've got you. I'm with you. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Just let me take your hand and lead you forwards, not backwards. So I think it's discerning as the church. What do we need to leave behind and what actually do we need to carry forward and develop and what's the new that he's asking of us? Yeah. It's fascinating that you're in Joshua and we're in Nehemiah. Oh, Nehemiah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole idea of rebuilding and it's beautiful how the Lord is teaching through his word in different places. Amazing. The same things. Um, we would love to pray for you i mean our time is coming to a close but how might we be praying for you and what god is doing in the uk in this moment oh i always say whenever i'm asked how can we pray for you there's always two things yeah pray for rhythm and pray for protection mm-hmm. the rhythm's so important because it's the thing in our marriage the thing we get better at every month but still not good at is rhythm you know how does all of this fit into life who knows yes. and 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 the right rhythm because actually we, it's been really intense it's been the most intense few months ever yeah and then the second thing is protection why because the target on our backs is quite big mm-hmm. and we're under no illusions about that we're not scared but the evil one is very consistent it's just never creative and so protection is really important that's what i'd say what would you say yeah and, and provision um provisions definitely we need provision at the minute and um boldness just as i've been talking about boldness to enter 
the new territory to walk forward into what we know God's asking of us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah.